Uh, today, we are having our last talk in this series that we've been in called arrhythmia. If you don't know what arrhythmia is, arrhythmia is the irregular heartbeat. It's a medical condition, a regular heartbeat. And the premise of this series that we've been in as we've been kind of journeying through the whole Sermon on the Mount, we're kind of taking apart kind of section by section. Jesus enters into this section. He really starts to get into some heart issues. And he says that there are some certain ways of living and doing things that the way the Pharisees and the religious leaders and kind of religion has taught you to do this, and it's based off of your outward doing instead of your inward being. And he says, I'm changing that. Because if you've heard it said that this is how things should go, but now I say to you, and he kind of stands up on this mountain with this new authority given by God of this new way to live. And so what I want to do today, uh, before we really dive in specifically to our passage today, because it is kind of the climactic moment that Jesus has in this sermon, in this section as we're going through uh, arrhythmia, as he talks about what scholars call the six antithesis, where he says, you've heard it said this, now I'll tell you this. What I want to do is let us just kind of take a deep breath. It's beautiful outside. You kind of walked in, feeling the, the air, seeing the you know, big blue sky, all that stuff. I want us to put ourselves in the setting in the scene this morning, to not just read the Bible, um, but to see it, feel it, smell it even, hear it. And um, if you got a Bible, you can go to Matthew 5 and you can read along. But this morning, because we're kind of hitting a, a shift point as we go to the sermon, I want to take us back to the very beginning of it and put all of this kind of in this context so we know what's going on, know what's happening. I'm going to read it. I got a little bit more of a southern draw, southern south French draw than Jesus did. And so I'm going to do what he did. He sat down on the hillside. If you need to close your eyes, imagine a little bit. Put yourself there on that hillside in Galilee. You know, you hear seagulls kind of out in the side. All this is going on. And, and don't just see it. Feel what the people who were sitting there felt. People who had heard this commotion about Jesus. People who have heard about him healing people and, and, and setting people free from demons and, and helping people be able to see again and telling people these great truths about their lives and giving people this hope that they had not had yet and answering some of those big giant life questions that we all seem to have. And so all those people are sitting in the crowd that day and Jesus opens up his mouth and he begins to speak these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. And you guys, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it on a bowl. Instead, you put it up on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come here to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the 
the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now you've heard it said to the people a long time ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar, and first go and reconcile to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. And it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said to the people a long time ago, don't break your oath, but keep the oath you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, because you can't make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. And you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone wants to Sue you and take your tunic, give to him your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks. And don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then he ends with this, like at this section. This section ends like this, listen. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these words. Uh, we thank you for putting them all together. We, we thank you for however you, you sat down in this moment to, to speak into existence the greatest sermon ever preached. From this moment forward, there'll be nothing that I say that is, is more significant, more life-altering, more life-changing than what was just read, Jesus. So I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that inspired these words to be written through the former sinful, rebellious, traitor, tax collector, Matthew, however your Holy Spirit inspired him to put these words down on paper to be passed down 
from generation to generation to generation to McDonough, Georgia at 2000 Jonesboro Road for every person in this seat and every person watching on the world wide web. Jesus, you are here. That Holy Spirit that inspired those words to come out of the quill of the pen that he was writing with has not changed one iota as the Holy Spirit that is alive and active online and in this room. And so we ask, beg and plead for you to have an encounter with us today, Jesus, that is real. Hinder everything that the enemy would like to get in the way of how you want to speak to your children specifically today. In your name, amen. So, that last passage that we're going to dive into starts in 43. And that's what we're going to unpack, kind of go word by word through this passage right here in 43, where, again, last week he jumped in and he says, hey, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And he breaks that down and says, hey, listen, at the end of the day, no longer are we as God's people about fair. From this moment forward, we're not fair people, we're grace people. And we're telling us from this moment forward, the way that we show that we're not fair people is that we prove to people that we're not their opposition by saying we're against what you're doing, but we're for who you are. And that's what Jesus does for us. And he kind of circles in and kind of elaborates on this teaching and takes it a step further. And if last week's message and the not retaliate when somebody disrespects you, asks something more of you, demands you go further than you're willing to go, if that message was hard, him now saying you have to hate everything in you that wants to hate your enemy, that's gonna be even harder. And so he jumps right off and he says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I want to take you. Again, we've done this every week when we've been in the series of Arrhythmia. He says, okay, here's the thing that you've said and what he, why he's quoting them. He's saying, if you continue to give your hearing to these words, your heart will always beat out of rhythm. And so he says, here's what you've heard. Now, let me take you to the truth. Now, again, we've always kind of gone, okay, well, let's go to that context, what Jesus is quoting there. What he's saying there is being... Uh, quoted from Leviticus 19.18. This is where God shows up to his prophet at the time, a guy named Moses, and he is creating this nation of Israel. He set them out of captivity in Egypt, and he's giving them these rules to live by, to provide and to protect for them. In Leviticus 19.18, this is where we get what he just quoted. God's talking, trying to protect his people. He says, don't seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone who is among your people. Keyword, your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, what was missing in there? Hate your enemy. That's what Jesus is quoting. They say, do not seek revenge, bear drudge. Let's read it one more time, make sure we didn't miss anything. Do not seek revenge, bear drudge against your anyone, your enemy people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Yeah, there's nothing in there about hate your enemy. And you could go Genesis to maps through this thing, and you're not going to find hate your enemy. Not anywhere. They don't, it's not in there. And see, this is what Jesus is calling out. And this is what happens. It's happened then, it's happened all through now. People take some things that are God's word and they twist them, add a little bit of spin to it, and it's just like one couple ticks off from what God really says, but it's evil. Because God never said, hate your enemy. He said, love your neighbor. I kind of left it at that. And so what happened is everybody's kind of sitting around going like, who's my neighbor? Well, I gotta love them. Well, who's my neighbor? And it, I, well, I can just do what I want with everybody else. I guess. And again, they didn't take things in context. In this passage, God's trying to give them the laws and how to govern themselves, but then in many other places all throughout Scripture, 
He talks about welcoming in the foreigner. He talks about taking care of other people. He talks about welcoming men exiles. He talks about being a God who is for the nations. But somehow, again, this talks about our human depravity and our natural tendencies to want to love our own, to want to protect the people in our circle. So when we walk into an office space environment or we're, we're somewhere else, we, we kind of look in and we go and we kind of see somebody who's kind of looking like us or thinks like us and kind of like us. And we say, hey, yeah, hey. You know, we, we do that. Or, or when, when, when it's in school and say, hey, right, pick a partner. And you're like, oh. And you go pick a partner. Like if you're, if you're a jock with a letterman jacket on, you're not going to the kid with the, you know, with the pocket protector. We, we go to the people we're like. That's what he's calling us out on that. It's not necessarily your enemies necessarily even here. He's saying it's just natural human tendency to, within your own tribe, within your own circle, to love and care for them. And to people who are not, to just kind of treat indifferent. And then, when people who are maybe against you are opposed to you, to treat them like enemies that you hate. And so Jesus flips all this on his head. He says, here's what you used to hear. Here's what I'm saying to you now. That's what we see in verse 44, he says, but I tell you, new, new way, your heart's always gonna be out of, beat out of rhythm if it doesn't go this way, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, we hear that and we're like, yeah, love our enemies, yes. But let's, let's be truthful with ourselves. There's something within us that as much as we would wanna say, we wanna be the people that love our enemies, there's something in us that loves hating people. There's something in us that doesn't like liking everybody. And we can call it a defense mechanism, so we walk into an environment and we kind of figure out, okay, that person's potentially a threat, or that person, you know what, I don't know about them. Or some, you're already in a group, and somebody walks in and they're new, and you're like, oh, and you check them out, and you, you make your judgment, boom, okay, I know who they are, I know where they're at, and you make all your assessments and your decisions. What Jesus is saying here is you have to be the type of people who don't just love the people you like, you have to love the people that may hate you and that you may want to hate. Now, that's hard because we live in the age of outrage. And it's not just like, I wanna hate the people who have actively done something personally against me. But we live in this wild time, guys, where it's like an Olympic sport to get offended on other people's behalf. Like, I mean, like, some of the ex only exercise people get is like jumping to conclusions about how offended somebody else is about something that they don't even know yet. And, and, that's, and it's like there's this, there's this desire and propensity and addiction to get upset and outraged and angry about something. And that person who is the perpetrator, now they're also my enemy. I'm against them. I'm against this person who doesn't believe in this or votes that way or thinks that way or lives in that country. And we are hungering, it seems like, for people to be against and to be our enemies. And every major media outlet, whether, whether you're a CNN person, an MSNBC, a Fox News person, a Twitter person, a Snapchat, a TikTok, every one of those things is used by our enemy to keep that division going that way. And, and again, like, you use them for good sometimes. I, I talked to a young woman today who found us on Facebook. So, like, again, I'm not bashing Facebook. Like, there's people who are here today because of Facebook. So, like, I praise God for taking what the enemy meant for evil and using it for good. Like, he does that. But we've got to understand that there is just something in us that likes to warm ourselves with that little kerosene heater of hatred 
that sometimes we like to keep in our gut sometimes. Because be truthful with yourself. And I've had to be true. Like sometimes who we hate or how they wounded us, because it's so much a part of our story, we don't want to let it go anymore because we don't know who we would be if we didn't hate them anymore. I don't know who I would be if I was a, a, a divorced wife who no longer had a grudge against my ex-husband. I don't know who I would be if I didn't have him to hate anymore. I don't know who I would be if I didn't have the, you know, those people who have oppressed me or did something wrong or whatever. I don't know who I'd be anymore. And so sometimes we want to hold on to that hate because we don't know who we'd be anymore if we let go of it. And Jesus is saying, hate is a horrible thing to find your identity in. That's why he says, let's try to replace that with something. Let's try to replace that with love. Love. So today what I want to try to do is try to answer some of these questions that are around this. Of First and foremost, who is my enemy? Next, how do I love them? And then lastly, why do I have to do that? Because <laughs> we're all kind of kids in the room and we're like, why? Okay, why do I have to do this? So let's start first with who is my enemy? In the, in the passage it says, you know, love your enemy and, and pray for those who persecute you. And this word persecute is, is, is essentially, uh, think about football. Last night, great game. Um, football you have, is someone who literally the word, the terminology in the word means it's someone who lines up against you. They're opposing you. They're coming against you. And again, you can go up a little bit into the passage before that, and Jesus gives three examples of that. He says, someone who is disrespectful to you. That's the whole slap on the cheek, turn the other cheek thing. He says, someone who demands something of you, wants to take something from you. And he talks about someone who is you know, trying to take advantage of you, making you go further than you're willing to go. And he says, these are the people that are your enemies. And we all have enemies in our life, whether it's an ex-spouse, whether it's a, um, you know, someone who did something that was wrong to us, whether it's a, a boss, whatever. We have our enemies. Someone who um, you used to be really good friends with and then they did something really terrible when they talked about you behind your back and and now you're a Christian so you don't hate her but when she was at the beach this past summer you hoped a shark bit her leg (laughs) you don't hate her you just you know like sometimes when she's posting beach pictures you're like I just wish there was a shark um and there's there's subtle hate too that's and again, this is where like, I think Jesus doesn't give us our Christian paths for our pithy things, like the things we sit, tell our kids, like, oh, baby, it's okay. You, you don't got to like them. You just got to love them. Well, that, that might have been on a coffee mug at TJ Maxx, but does that, does that, like, does that line up with Scripture? Like, is that, is that gospel? Because I don't know about you, but like everything I see in the Bible, love is a two-way thing. And it's not this thing that I keep in my love capsule in my heart that I just keep hidden. Because the last time I checked, the only way I knew that somebody loved me is when they actually showed that they liked me. And so I think it may be a bad idea to go, well, I don't gotta like them, you just gotta love them. Well, what does that look like? Play that out. And so Jesus comes here to us and he goes, okay, who's your enemy? Well, it can be the person who has actively done something against you, for sure. But it also can be the person who you are apathetic to, who you just pretend doesn't exist. They're not there. The person who, and again, this goes back to the anger thing that we talked about, first one of these antithesis. And again, this is Jesus being Jesus in his sermons. You don't even catch this stuff, but he circles, like when he does these six antithesis, he takes it from here and he circles it all the way back around to the same point. He says, your anger and your hating your enemy is you doing the very thing that I came to do, but the opposite. I came to give life. When you hate somebody, when you retaliate and you treat somebody like your enemy, you're killing them. 
I came that you would have life and life to the full. How dare you try to take it away from somebody or treat somebody like they don't have life and they have value. That's what I came to give. I'm a creator God who gives life. So those are who our enemies are. People who are actively opposing us, but also the people who we are saying, you're dead to me. We pretend like don't exist. So he goes from here in this passage and he says, okay, that's who our enemy is. How in the world do we love them? And again, Jesus, I love that in this passage, he's so practical. And the other one, he said, okay, well, here's the three examples of how you can not retaliate and show somebody that you are against what they're doing before them. And then here we go, because again, he's, he's like us in the room going, okay, how do I love my enemies? That's, that's out there, Jesus. And he goes, okay, let's, let's walk through a few examples. First thing, um, he says, if you're gonna love your enemies, here's what you gotta do. You've gotta pray for them prayers. Now, I, read that, I wrote that that way on purpose. Pray for them prayers. And that's where he starts. Look at um, Matthew 5, He says, but I tell you, love your enemies. And as soon as he knows people are gonna be like, Ugh, he says, and pray for them. Which we go, some of us go, oh, I don't have to do really anything then. But wait, Jesus is coming for you. But what he's saying here, and this, and again, when we hear love for your enemies, love is a really rough word, right? Because we love taco. Like you've heard me from this stage multiple times talk about how much I love tacos, right? And I've also talked about how much I love my family. But if I go to La Perea after church and I sit down with tacos and my family and some guy comes up to the table with a knife and it's like, give me your tacos. Like, I'm gonna give him my tacos. If he comes up to the table and goes, give me your family, it's gonna be a different story. And so love is, love is a hard word when he says love your enemies. What he's not talking about there is just muster up all these warm fuzzies for the people that you can't stand. What he's talking about is a, a sacrificial heart that is the agape, and that's what that agape love is all about. It's a sacrificial love. It's a giving love. It's a, it's a love that's willing to put yourself in second place to be able to put somebody else in first. And, and hear me, you don't have to have warm fuzzies to do that. What you have to have is a heart that is now aligned and beating in rhythm with Jesus. And that's why he says, before we go anywhere else, when I start talking about love your enemies, step one, before we get to the next sentence, before we go anywhere, love your enemies, pray. Love your enemies, pray. You, you like, if you don't get to that point, don't try to get to anything else that we're gonna talk about. And so, love your enemies, pray. And these things, I believe, do go in ascending order. So step one, how do I love my enemies? I pray for them. And I don't just pray about them. Now, that's usually what we do. We pray about our enemies. Lord, help this boss of mine just to notice my hard work, to quit being so mean to me, to give me this off time, Lord, to give me a raise, something, either I need time off or I need more money. Like, help this guy to understand the mistakes he's making, Lord, and to get his stuff together. In your name, Jesus, amen. That prayer was for you. That prayer wasn't for them. So when we have somebody who's an enemy in our life, we begin to pray for them prayers. Somebody's mistreating you, somebody's bad. Like, here's one of the things you gotta understand in life, man. Somebody does something wrong to you, it's one of the life rules I've tried to live by, and it's helped me out a little bit as a leader. Um, seldom is the issue the issue. So when somebody's doing something wrong that like hurts you and something else, like when we begin to pray, what prayer does is it begins to not only see that person as a perpetrator of sin against us, but allows us to now, through the eyes of God, because we're in praying in connection and in partnership with God, it allows us to not just see them as a perpetrator of sin against us, but allows us to also see them as a victim of sin that's been perpetrated against them. 
And so maybe, it's, it's like the kid. You know, you, you have a little kid, and they have a dog that they love, that they love, and they pet the dog all the weekends, blah, 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 and they just, the man's best friend. And then the dog gets hit by a car. The kid goes over to pick up the dog, and it's got his legs broke. And what does the dog do? It bites the kid. Wounded people bite. So when somebody's biting you, when somebody's backbiting, that, that type of attitude, you can't understand. There's probably a wound there. So prayer is the only thing that will allow you to get over yourself to start seeing the wounds of others. That's just it. That's hard, too. But prayer is where that's at. And prayer is what that takes. Now, when we talk about praying for them prayers, we've got to understand that that is the only thing that will allow us to get to the next stop. To really begin to pray and and see them as a person who God loves, that God cares for, that is creating the image and likeness of God. And then, once we get there, this is kind of how Jesus allows the passages to go, we get to a place where then, how can we love our enemies? We provide for them. Look what he says in Matthew 5.45. Next way, we provide for them. Matthew 5.45, he says, kind of here's what that means. So he says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, verse 45, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust, or the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, again, what are we talking about there? Why are we saying i got to provide for them? Listen to what he says, okay? Love your enemies so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, what he's not saying there is your entrance requirement to heaven is to love your enemies. Your entrance requirement to heaven is to hate your sin, to love Jesus. That's, that's entrance requirement to heaven, not to love your enemies. And so what he's saying here when he says, when you love your enemies, you'll be called children of God. He's saying they will see you doing and being who God is. And then he gives the example. Look at the rain. Look at the sun. Again, he's in an agrarian society where everything has to do with two things, the sun and the rain. And what God is saying is that take those fields. The field over here, this blooming and growing, this owner, this farmer beats his servants, is mean to his wife, doesn't pay his taxes, and is an, and, and I don't know, it's something, he's just a bad dude, is a Mets fan. This is this guy. His field still looks great. Over here is, is a guy who, who pays his taxes, who, who does Bible study and prays with his kids every single night. Both of these fields are the same. What God is saying here is there is such a thing as common grace. God is a loving, caring, heavenly father, says, I'm going to send rain on the good, rain on the bad, sun on the good, sun on the bad. And as a loving God, and that's not to say that God's not going to punish, he's not going to, at the end, have full vengeance for those who believe in the sun or not. But in the meantime, he is still, as a loving, caring, heavenly father, going to give common grace to all, regardless of their good deeds, righteousness, and religion. And the case study for that is this big old book in the Bible called Job. If you ever want to wonder, okay, well, why does bad things happen to good people? Go read Job. You'll find out real quick, there's no such thing as a good person. So if we're going to love our enemies, he says we've got to be like our father and, and actually be willing to provide for our enemies. Now, sometimes that providence is going to be like what we talked about last week. It's going to be providing them an extra cheek to say, hey, you're being disrespectful to me. I'm go- I can obviously tell you got some anger. If there's any more you need to get out, here's my other cheek. You can continue to get all that anger out. Let it out. Or, hey, you want my jacket? Here's another one. You can have this one too. I'm, you, you, I'm willing to give this to you. Sometimes it's providing in that way to someone who would say you are an enemy. But sometimes, and this is where really prayer comes into it, sometimes the most amazing thing you can provide for an enemy is forgiveness. 
Because forgiveness, ver- and an awesome, uh, this is verbal forgiveness. Verbal forgiveness, you telling somebody who's done something terrible, awful to you, verbal forgiveness is not just you being someone who says, I'm all about just, I want to de- declare the gospel with my life. I just want to declare the gospel. I'll, go, I'll send this check to the missionaries in Uganda. We're going to de- go to have the gospel declared. But I'm telling you, what is way more powerful is not a declaration of the gospel, but it's a demonstration of the gospel. And that is, in my opinion, no more fully on display than when we see someone who has been unrighteously victimized and perpetrated against forgive the person who hurt them. And to me, the best example that I've seen in recent years, it just blows my mind. And, and those of you who know a little bit of my story, you're going to know um, how much I related to this. Um, there's a story of this church shooting that happened in Charleston, South Carolina. Is that the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church happened a few years back, and it wasn't on a Sunday, but they were having a, a kind of a midweek Bible study. And um, during that Bible study, a, a gunman came in. Um, he was actually, believe it or not, invited in. They welcomed him in with open arms in a church that he would have not. He, he didn't look like anybody else there. So he's welcomed in with open arms, and from there he goes to slain via gunfire nine of the members of this church. And at the bond hearing, some of the family is allowed to come in and to look him eye to eye. And uh, that's, that's, the, uh, that's what's referred to as the, the people who refer to as the Emmanuel Nine. Group of people gathered together. Go closer to Jesus, open up his word. I had this unspeakable thing done to them. And at the bond hearing, uh, one, one father in particular, and in that picture, uh, two of the nine are his. One is his wife, and one is his son. At this bond hearing, he looks this man in the face, and he says, I forgive you, son. My family forgives you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent, confess, and give your life to the one who matters most, Jesus, so that he can change it and change your attitude. Now, what's crazy about this is a few years passed after all this had happened. And if that wasn't like, and if this dad who lost his wife and lost his son in this terrible, horrible act, if that was enough, there the multiple people came and said very similar things. And, and this young man is, is, is in this moment um, where he should be feeling guilt and shame is feeling grace through these people. It's amazing, amazing how they provided that opportunity for grace and repentance and forgiveness for him. But a few years after the fact, this father is interviewed again and he's asked essentially, hey, do you have any regrets for what you said that day? He said this, I always get asked that. And people want to know why, even if he did repent, why I would ever forgive a man who murdered my wife and my son. My answer to them is always the same. I choose to forgive the racist killer because I believe and trust God's word when he tells me that vengeance is his to repay. Not mine. I don't need to avenge the vile deeds of Dylan Ruth myself. It's mine to avenge. I will repay. Scripture promises me that. Now, if you know anything about my story, you know that I can very much relate to that as a victim who's had someone in my family, my own father, shot and killed. 
and I've had my own, like this, and it's weird how all this happened. Um, this happened around the same time that all those things were happening in my own family a few years back. And this story came out, and I'm in my head, I haven't even gone there yet, but I'm going, well, what am I going to say that day? And I still don't know. I don't like going there. But I know it's going to be different because of what that father said, that husband said. And I know that why he said what he said is because he had read Romans 12, 14 through 19. Where God, speaking through Paul, says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this is exactly what this father quoted and what maybe I will as well. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. See, what I've had to realize as I've come into this is like, man, because like, I've had those moments where I've thought about what I would say but I've also had those moments where I thought about what I would do. Like if Jesus just showed up in a dream and said, Trent, like tomorrow um, you'll get away with whatever you want to get away with. Go do what you want to do. Here's, here's what I've come to realize, and, and God hit me with this like a ton of bricks this week because I've, I've had those angry moments. And I've had the, the other side, where I, well, the moments where you want to repay, and then the, like, the only Christian alternative is apathy. Like, you're, like, I don't want to think about you. I don't want to think about those moments. I just want it all to go away. I just want to just compartmentalize, close that box up, throw it down into the basement, and never dig it back out. But what I'm learning is Jesus actually offers a better way for those who have hurt us. And you see them on the cross and in hell. Here's what I mean. All the punishment that I would want to give the person who shot my father, and all the punishment that the father and, and, and husband who had his wife taken from him at Emmanuel and AME, all the things that we would want to do to the people who did those horrible things against us would not be perfect punishment. And so why waste the time on punishment that would not be perfect? Because here's what you need to know. If Dylan Ruth or the person who shot my father, if they receive Christ, if they receive the salvation that is only found in Christ and Christ alone, what that means is in Christ and on cross, at the cross, their punishment is there. And it's perfect. The, the Bible made it very clear that, that it's by his wounds we are healed. That the punishment that brought us peace is upon him. That all the punishment that Dylan Ruth or the perpetrator for my family deserved if they are in Christ, it is on Jesus on the cross. And it could never get any more perfect than that. If they are not in Christ, then hell will be perfect punishment. So anything I could do here isn't perfect. It's a waste of my time, my life, my energy. And I have to trust a God who says vengeance is mine. Either will be accepted and retributed by the vengeance that was poured out on my son on the cross, or 
Heaven forbid it will happen in hell. So we stand in this crazy middle ground with the people we love and the people who are enemies. And we go, okay, well, how do I, 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 here's how I love them. I, I love them by trying to do something so that this doesn't become their outcome and destination. Now, man, you've never had a hard time being a pastor when there is somebody out there who you kind of in your heart of hearts wish they didn't come to the Lord. And that's what I've had to repent of. That's what I've had to, like, you know. And, that, and hear me. Nothing in the brain of Trent Shoemaker, your brain, nothing in our own human createdness will ever get there. That, and that's why Jesus started with prayer. He said the only way you get to the place where you'll begin to pray for your enemy, where you'll send an email to an enemy, you'll provide food for an enemy, the way you'll only do those things, you, you will never provide for them unless you have first prayed for them. Prayer is what breaks the heart to, to allow the hand to reach out. That's the only way it happens. And from here, Jesus quotes a couple other things that kind of round out this illustration. In, in 46, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Which he's saying again. He's saying, for the most part, you're pretty good people when you're around your people. What happens when you get around people who like different music than you and drive different cars than you and live in different houses and dress than you and, 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 and talk different than you and, and are different than you? What happens then? And, and maybe when those differences and the things that they like and don't like go against the things that you don't like and you get in arguments about who likes what and, and, and all that stuff. He says, listen, it's really easy to like the people you know you're going to get kickback from. And we, ha- we saw that even happen today. Like, again, nothing wrong with this. Like, when you came in today, when you saw people who you knew, you go up to them, you hug them, you maybe have a relationship and everything else. Like, those are the people you went to, you talked to and everything else. Like, you did maybe the, the, the weird people, that I, like the good weird, like I love you weird people who go up to random strangers like, hey, what's your name? Have we met yet? Like, seriously, let us become a church where that question happens on multiple occasions every single Sunday. Your job next week, when, if you come to church in person, your role, your job, this is completely off topic, but let us be a church where that question is asked more than any other question. Have we met yet? Have we met yet? I don't know you. Have we met yet? Because that leads into the, the next way we love our enemies. And it's crazy that Jesus puts the cookies all the way down the cookie shelf here, all the way down at the bottom. Verse 47, he says, if you only greet people your own people, well, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Which is like, Jesus, are we talking about hating enemies? And now you're talking about hello and goodbye and greeting folks? What? And see, he's after something here. He's saying, when you're in the public square, or when you're going to the break room for lunch, and that guy who's just, he's always, he always brings tuna fish to, to, to lunch, and like, for some reason, microwaving tuna fish in the break room, and like, Oh, man, you just don't want to be around. You want to leave your lunch break with a headache. And so you see him in there, and you're like, nope, I'm eating lunch in the car. Like, I don't want to eat with tuna guy. And you leave. <laughs> Jesus is saying, listen, like, this is, this is, again, how do we love our enemies? You pay respect. We always talk about that when people die. What if we paid people respect while they were still alive? And so he comes here and he says, pay, pay them respect. It's treating humans like they're humans. It's, it's saying, when I'm at Kroger checking out, I'm going to put my phone in my pocket or my purse and I'm going to engage this minimum wage teenager who may be desperately looking for hope in life. And that, I mean, like, I'm going to talk to you. You're not just someone, this is not a transactional relationship. You're not just here to give me what I want. 
And for the love of God, I've said this before, please be nice to people who work at fast food places. I still want to go there. Be nice to them. Treat, treat them like they're actual humans. And he says in regards to our enemies, you can no longer get away with the Christian past of just saying, I don't have to like them, I can just love them. He says it's not, that, does, that, does, that is not real. You're fooling yourself. God knows your motives. So he says, if you're going to be a follower of me, you're going to have to pray for them, you're going to have to provide for them, you're going to have to pay them the respect they owe. Now, why? Why do we have to do this? First and foremost, and all the parents in the room will laugh at this one, because Jesus said so. Like, that's, that's, like really, that's kind of the biggest part of it. Like, he said so. He said so. Secondly, and this goes into it, he did so. And here, here, here's, here's why we have to do this. It, it will show if you're really saved. It will show if grace has really become amazing to you. Because only the people who are willing to show grace are the people who know grace. And, and, and the fastest indication for me, if I'm watching your life on film, that you have not experienced the grace of God is when I see you not showing it. And again, it's easy to show grace. And again, Jesus is telling us this. He's saying it's going to be easy to show grace to your kids, your wife, your family. Like you're just going to want to be gracious to them, to people at your church, all those other types of things. But the enemies, that's going to be where it really is put fully on display, that you have an understanding of my grace. We see this in a beautiful picture uh, in the story of Stephen. He, he was uh, one of the early deacons in, in the early church. Jesus has already ascended into heaven. Holy Spirit has fallen. And man, it's just getting out of hand in the best way possible because the Holy Spirit is doing an amazing thing. Now, as this stuff is getting out of hand, the church is exploding. All of the religious leaders, the people Jesus is putting under the bus and backing it up over them, uh, not really against them, more so they're thinking of this is how God is and this is what God is about. Stephen begins to speak out against that and they're trying to put him on trial and they basically go, Stephen, okay, um, tell us what you stand for. It's kind of his moment to either put up or shut up. And he goes through, it's in Acts, go read it, it's an intense passage where he just lights into them and says, prophet after prophet after prophet after priest after whatever, and they have come and they have tried to show you the light that points to the light Jesus, and you crucified him. And at this, they, they gnash their teeth, they start tearing their clothes, they pick up stones to stone him, they hand all of their coats to this guy named Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. And there in that moment, we see this, this crazy image of heaven open up and in, 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 in Stephen being able to say these things and he's saying even the same words he's quoting Jesus from the cross saying Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing and then we, we see this crazy thing where, where he talks and, and not everybody around him sees this but he as he is getting ready to and again feel all the tension of this crowd angry mob stone in hand around him as he is falling to the ground he is explaining, he is interpreting the vision that he is seeing to the people around him. And he says, here I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Well, like, wel like welcoming him in as if. Now, if you know your Bible, you know how odd that is. Over and over again throughout the Bible, even when Jesus talks about him and what he's doing in heaven. And again, I, I know Jesus is not just sitting. He's not a couch potato. Um, but over and over again, when it refers to Jesus in the Bible, especially post-resurrection, Jesus says he's seated at the right hand of God. I think intentionally in this moment that the first image that Stephen gets of resurrected Savior Christ is him at the throne room place, but not seated, standing standing and I believe ovation just yes because this 
Because that's what he's putting on display. I think that's what he's putting on display is this is what it looks like to love your enemies. And, and, and again, I think this is why of the six antithesis, that's why this one is the, the crown jewel, the one that's at the very end, because this is where Jesus is saying, there is never a time, not just not, lust, yes. Yeah, that, that one's gonna be there. When, when you keep eyes that are pure, when you tell the truth and have integrity, that's gonna be there. When you uh, really are respectful and you, and you take care of this marriage covenant that I've given, that's gonna be a big deal. When you don't retaliate, that's gonna be a big deal. But there is never anything where you're going to be more fully putting on display the gospel and my grace than when you love your enemies because it's what I've done for all mankind and that's why I believe he stands up he gives them the ovation because he says there's never a better example of what it looks like to be one of my kids to represent the father who'd be willing to allow me as your big brother to do this than this right here and he promises and again, this goes back to the why. He says there's a reward in heaven for that. That everything you think you lost, even, even personally, even the opportunity for revenge that you feel like you lost by being obedient and surrendering to Jesus, even that, when Christ returns and makes all things new, there will be a huge reward. For the punishment that you chose to withheld. And let either Jesus be the full punishment. Or let that punishment play itself out in the way God wanted it to. So to sum all this up. The big reason. The reason we can love our enemies. Is that while we were still enemies of God. He first loved us. That's it. That's the only, that's the only reason. That's the only why. There's, there's no. And again. You will never get there without prayer without providing for them and without paying them the respect. And that's why Jesus lays all those out. And again, I love, uh, I skipped over something. Um, let's look at how he rounds this part out. Verse 48. He says all this, you know, 47, don't only greet your own people, you're doing more than evildoers, don't even pagans do that. And then verse 48, he says, <laughs> to round out this thing, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Which again, we, there's a collective <sighs> groan in the crowd. Because he says, be perfect, Jesus. And again, that's exactly what he wanted to take you to. So that you go right back. When he says, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Boom. Right back. 5-3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How do you become perfect? Become poor. The, that perfection, the path to perfection is paved with a poor spirit. One that goes, I'm bankrupt. I am totally unable to love this person who has caused me this much hate. And even this person who, you know, don't just check yourself out of it. They hate me. Like, and I hate them. He says, I, I am poor with the resources. I have none of them to be able to turn this enemy into friend and brother. So Jesus, only you can do that. And that's the prayer that begins the process of giving perfect love to people who are just like us, completely imperfect. And uh, today, may seem weird, may seem insignificant, I, I want to leave you with a little bit of an action step, like a challenge, okay? So last week I told you to go get a lot of shoes. This one will probably be even funner. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify your enemy, first of all. Like, who is that person for you? Who? Just figure them out. 
And for you, it may be a group, you know? Well, figure out who's the leader of that group. I don't know. Who's your enemy? Who's that person maybe in your past, maybe in right now that you feel like, man, I'm, I'm against them, that I'm opposed to them? Or who's that person you just become apathetic about? You just kind of written them off. Like, I don't care what happens. At the, and again, like, you're not even, like, thinking about them when the shark could bite them and they go to the beach. Like, you're just, you don't care. They haven't crossed your mind in years. You're just dead to you. All right? That's step one. And this is completely different. It'd be cool if that person became one of the persons you do this to. But then the other thing, to keep with Jesus' part three here, of pay them respect, I want you this week to say, we'll call it the uh, say hey challenge. Say hey to 10 people this week, 10 strangers. Everybody wants to go crazy about like, how do we heal the racial divide in our community? I think step one is be nice to people. Like, treat, like say hey. When you walk into a, a restaurant, when you walk into a place and people that are there that don't look like you, you cross somebody, and it's like, hey man, what's up, what's going on? Like you, you'd, be, you'd be so amazed. And again, when we got masks on, you can't really see the smiles and everything else. Make eye contact, talk to somebody, and you'd be amazed at what God could do through something that simple. And again, you may be going, Trent, that's stupid. You ain't going to check in on me. No, I'm not. But Jesus said in his word, and he will. All right? So, like, do it. Just say, again, that's, cookies are low on the shelf there. Say hey to 10 people, 10 strangers this week. And if a conversation ensues, invite them to church with you or something. Do something crazy. And uh, watch what God does through that. All right? Hey, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, after I pray, we're going to receive communion. We're going to sing one more song. And as you're getting ready to take communion today, I want you to know that that's the display. That's where the punishment that would allow even the worst and most vile enemy to become a friend of God, that's where the punishment for that was paid for in full. And you're a part of that. And what I want to do, and this may seem weird, I know... A lot of times when we talk about communion, I definitely want to make communion something that's about you, and I think it's a time where God invites us to be introspective and search our own hearts and see where our sins are against him. But today, like I talked about, for your enemy, God's ideal plan for their life, your enemy, is that they would, they would put their faith, their trust, their hope in Jesus, and that Jesus would become the full punishment for their sins even the ones against you. And so today, as we come to a moment where we remember the cross, we remember his sacrifice, maybe as hard as it may be, pray that they would come to accept the punishment that was paid for them by Jesus on that cross, as you accept it as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. For withholding the just punishment that we all deserve. We thank you for that mercy. And we thank you for the grace that now gives us an offer of eternal life if we put our faith in you. And Father, I pray for those maybe, God, who are in this room and feeling like that this is something that is it's beyond impossible. I pray that they would turn their heart to you. Maybe it's impossible because the one who can make it happen in their life is not in their life yet and I pray that they would invite you to be their Lord invite you to be their Savior to show them and, and teach them even now in this moment God that, that they will never be able to give something that they don't have I pray they receive your grace they receive your mercy they receive your forgiveness they trade in all that shame for a new life and maybe you lead them to baptism 
even to have that old life washed away, to be raised up as a grace-filled, forgiving, merciful person because they've been shown that grace, shown that mercy, and forgiven full. Draw us to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.